0: You're listening to a talk recorded live at Wildfires 2019. Find out more about wildfires at wildfiresfestival.com or find us on social media. I don't know about you, but my overriding sense as this incredible 72 hours comes to an end is one of immense gratitude. I genuinely feel so, so grateful to God that we've seen what we have seen, that we've been able to touch what we've touched, that we have been fueled by the very fire from heaven. And I just feel incredibly, incredibly grateful. The hunger here in this room, in this tent, right across this site, I believe has really pleased Jesus. It's as though the smile of God is all over us. And as I've been praying about this last session, I've been drawn to two chronicles chapter 7. Not just verse 14, which is uh, probably the most well-known part of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, but a few verses before and after. So please would you open up your Bibles, the living Word of God, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And let's just glean a few things out of this passage. You'll notice there's actually many similarities in terms of what we're going to read to what we have experienced here these last few days. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I don't know if you've ever noticed before that reference to fire and glory and fire and glory. And as Pastor Enoch said last night, wildfires conferences have been happening throughout the story of God's people. From Moses to Elijah to Solomon to Pentecost to today, the fire of God has been falling. And so here in 2 Chronicles, we see that the fire, Fire from heaven ushered in God's glory, filling a space. And back then, that space was the temple of God, filled with the glory of God. And we know, don't we, that now, today, we are the temples of God, the living temples of God. So now we're the space that gets full of the glory of God as the fire falls, it ushers in the glory of God. We are all bearers of the divine image and all the power and the glory of heaven is invested into us. And as Ellie reminded us a couple of nights ago, that means we are fully empowered to do the things that Jesus does. And the fire will grow as we give it away. As we lay hands on people As we are praying with the authority that we have got as bearers of that divine image, with all the power and glory of heaven invested in us, the fire will grow as we give it away. And so I want to ask you right now to allow your self-perception, your self-understanding to shift up a level to shift up a gear, to see yourself as a carrier of the fire of God, a living temple full of the glory of God. Our self-perception determines both our possibilities and our limitations. It's why it's so important that we keep coming back time and time and time again to who does God say we are. And so... I just want to make a declaration right now, right at the very start of this short talk, a declaration that across this room, the self-perception in every living temple in this room would shift up to the next level. Because as you see yourself as God sees you, all heaven breaks loose. If you see yourself right, you will act right. And so I pray and I declare that self-perception rises right across this room. And then verse 3, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord filling at the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, And his love endures forever. And I think our response has been similar. I know that's how I felt. As we've seen the fire of God imparted over these last 72 hours. As we've seen the glory of the Lord, what have we done? Well, we've done exactly what the Israelites have done. We've knelt in adoration. We've worshipped our hearts out. And we have declared, you are good, God. You are good and your love endures forever. And we've even said those words, as John Mark reminded us, when we're in a dark night, when we're in the desert, and we still choose to say he is good and his love endures forever, those prayers at those times really please Jesus. I can remember being really sobered and I became incredibly aware of the significance of my prayers on probably the the darkest day of our lives when our son died and at that moment I knew the prayers that I prayed at that point were going to mark me for the rest of my life. And so, when the dark nights happen, what you pray is really important. Verse 4 then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. We too are offering sacrifices to the Lord. And the sacrifices, well, it's us, it's ourselves. A great awakening will not happen by simply tolerating a little bit of inconvenience. A great awakening requires the laying down of our very lives, our time, our reputations, our agendas, our money. The offering this morning was amazing, but it is just simply a fitting tribute to the call to be a living sacrifice. It's what living sacrifices do, is they give of themselves. That is what we do. And friends, we've only got one life. And it's a myth that we're in control of how long that life is. But let's make it count. Let's offer it before the Lord. I kind of figure this. We either give of ourselves sacrificially to contend for the next great awakening and we live to see it. Or we don't and the next generation gets to harvest what we've sown. Either way, it's a better option than just saving up for a nice conservatory at the end of our lives. So the fire of God fell, as it has here. Sacrifices were made, as we have done here. And then verse 10 says this. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done. We're being sent back home with joyful and glad hearts, For the good things that God has done. And I think this is really important. What's happened here over these last few days. It isn't just meant to be a fond memory of when God turned up. This is meant to be for us to take back home. Here it says they were sent back home. We're being sent. We're being commissioned. We're on a mission. We are to take this back home to our dinner tables, to our workplaces, to our campuses, to our schools, to our front lines. We are to take this back home. We're carriers of God's fire, not for our sake, but for the sake of the nation This is not for us. This is not about us. This is for the lost. This is for the renewing of our culture. This is to see the fire of God in faith politics and business and education and health and entertainment. This is what the fire of God is that we carry. It's not about us. And then verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's the promise. That is what we're living in. Rachel reminded us brilliantly yesterday of who we are and whose we are. We are God's people wow god's very own people and we are called by his name and from that place of confidence we can truly humble ourselves and so we're told to humble ourselves and pray you know when we pray it's an act of humility because when we pray We say, God, we can't do this out of human cleverness or competence. We need you to do what only you can do. So prayer in and of itself is an act of humility. When we, the church in the UK, receive from those nations that we first took the gospel to, it's an act of humility. And when we believe the Bible and refuse to lower its authority in our lives, it's an act of humility. I want to read you a story about the legendary Billy Graham. Early in his life, Billy Graham wrestled with whether or not he was going to embrace the Bible as the inspired, revealed word of God. And therefore the ultimate truth source for his life or to view it through eyes that dismissed it as a fallible, unreliable book of merely human insight. He intuitively knew that this was no mere intellectual decision, but it would alter the very trajectory of his life. He had a friend named Chuck Templeton at the time who was facing the very same decision. Both were rising stars in the evangelical world, although most consider Templeton the better speaker of the two. But as Templeton looked at the Bible, he made the conscious decision not to believe it and to view it as little more than any other book. He then went to work on Billy to take a similar position. The resolution came while Billy was at a student conference at Forest Home, a retreat center in the mountains near Los Angeles. Billy went for a walk in the surrounding pine forest. About 50 yards off the main trail, he sat for a long time on a large rock that was there with his Bible spread open on a tree stump. Then he made his choice, ultimately and finally praying, Oh God, I cannot prove certain things. I cannot answer some of the questions Chuck is raising and other people are raising. But I accept this book by faith as the word of God. And that, Billy would later say, changed everything. He said, that single resolution gave power and authority to my preaching that has never left me. The gospel in my hands became a hammer and a flame. I felt as though I had a sword in my hands. And through the power of the Bible going deeply into men's consciousness, it led them to surrender to God. Sadly, the world never heard any more from Chuck Templeton. He ended up resigning from ministry, eventually left the faith altogether. He was interviewed at the age of 83. Asked by a journalist about his youthful decision, he reflected back on his life. And simply said, he missed Jesus. And then he broke down in tears and could say no more. It's an act of humility to pray. And it's an act of humility to say, I believe in the authority of the word of God. If we lower our view of scripture, we end up with a philosophy of goodness with no power. And I, for one, do not want to be part of a church that is simply fueled by a philosophy of goodness but with no power. So we humble ourselves and we pray. We seek God's face. We turn from our wicked ways. Wicked ways is anything that doesn't fit with who we are as children of the King. That's what it is. And there's some here who felt convicted this week of patterns and habits that just simply don't fit with who they are as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And I just want to encourage you, don't simply repent. Decide how you're going to change and then become accountable to somebody about it. So the promise that comes as we humble ourselves, we pray, we repent of anything that doesn't fit with who we are is this, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land and our land needs healing. Our land needs healing. Healing. And then I was just drawn to the verse that perhaps doesn't always get read as much as verse 14, and it's this one, verse 15, and this is really where I want to land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And I just wanted to say that after 72 hours of pushing in the level of intensity of the presence of God that we have pushed into, and then we've gone deeper, and then we've gone deeper, and then we've gone deeper still, I do believe there's a promise from God actually for us here these living words that I do believe there's something of the prayers that you dare to pray as wildfires is coming towards its final lap as a conference, as a festival. The prayers that we dare to pray, the eyes of the Lord will see those prayers and the ears of the Lord will be attentive to those prayers. It's like there is an open heaven here. Whatever is prayed in this place, I believe God says, it will be so. And so, as I'm wrapping up, I want to ask you to think about what are the prayers that you want to dare to pray. Not about you, not for you, but for your workplace, your front line your campus, your school, your home. I remember when we heard about an idea of um, revival stakes quite a long time ago now, and a number of us held a prayer meeting, and we had some wooden sticks, some wooden stakes, and we just simply wrote the word revival. And then we took those wooden sticks and we went round the perimeter of campus that we were working into, and literally planted those stakes. And then over the coming days and weeks, we saw a move of God at that time. There is something about the prayers prayed here, prayed now, after 72 hours of pushing in, that I believe he sees, he hears, and he will answer. So get ready for answered prayer for your town, your city, your sphere of influence, and for our nation. There's a quote that says, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. I'm not content. I am no longer content. So we've got some prayer sticks. In a former life, they were coffee stirrers. But they are now prayer sticks. So there's a bunch In small baskets around the edge of the stage, I would like to ask you to take just a few moments and think, what is it that you want to write on your prayer stick? Is it simply the word revival? Because there's a faith that you have now to pray for revival in a way that you didn't have before. Or is it something else, some kind of shift of the kingdom of darkness in your area of work that you just want to cancel some enemy scheme and plant that in the ground. What is it? What's the prayer that you want to pray because I believe the promise of God is that his ears will be attentive and his eyes will see what we pray. So, Come forward and grab a stick, and you can write on it, you can draw on it, do something symbolic, and then I would like you to take it home with you and plant it into a symbolic bit of land as a sign of saying, God, would you heal our land?